Hello, everybody, and even if you don't have a body. I'm Layman Pascal out front, so you don't have to be. And on behalf of Bruce Alderman and myself, I'd like to welcome you back to the Integral Stage Meta Podcast. We haven't done a Meta Podcast episode in a while, and we've been thinking its purview should be expanded to include all kinds of new platforms and technologies and media experiments that are within or adjacent to or of interest to the overlapping, emergent, mycelial, integral, liminal, metamodern communities, game beehives, and the other imaginal cells in the spiritual body of rational and transrational futures. So basically, we're asking, what is the future of digital wisdom? That's a good question, and today is an auspicious day for it. Today marks the beginning of our pivot toward digital platforms and tools aligned with emergent cultural missions. And to celebrate that event, we've partnered with Fathom FM, who will be sponsoring some episodes of the Integral Stage and also running our audio episodes through their new and quite interesting online platform. Here to tell us more about it and to join us in exploring the emerging possibilities of artificial intelligence and new digital platforms and how they might pertain to spiritual, developmental, integrative, and transformational projects, it's the not anymore shadowy and recently knighted Sir Paul Block. Hi, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Thank you for the warm welcome, Lehman. <laughs> Why don't, uh, why don't we just jump in and you give us an overview of what Fathom is for people who have no idea. All right. So Fathom, which you can, you can learn more about us and check out our app at fathom.fm. Fathom is a, what we call the podcast player from the future. And uh, when we say that, we really mean that. And why it's the podcast player from the future is because it's integrating AI technology um, in such a way that it kind of functions like a second brain for you. It helps you to find kind of everything that you would want to know about anything in particular in podcasts and kind of what you could call the pot universe of podcasts or the podcastosphere. We, we began the, the company uh, uh, a little over, well, I think, well, just about two years now, uh, two years ago, and uh, with my partner, uh, Kevin Miller. And uh, sorry, not Kevin Miller. I apologize, Ken Miller. <laughs> I'm nervous. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, Fathom. Uh, it's it started out uh, it, as an experiment to find new ways of searching inside podcasts to uh, find the exact moments of relevance to you. So you can ask a question and you can get an answer directly inside a podcast um, that is most relevant to it. And uh, we have, you know, over the course of the last two years, been building out an entire suite of AI products that process podcasts. First, we transcribe them. Um, and then we have a number of other machine learning models that process them. Those machine learning models generate chapters. They generate highlights. They generate all sorts of different ways to help you find the juicy, meaningful bits of information locked away inside of a podcast. So if you think like a MP3 file is incredibly opaque, you can't uh, read the contents of an MP3 file, uh, which is, you could say, the, the format that most podcasts are in. And Fathom allows you to search inside. It kind of um, makes the, the, the file or the, the, the formats or the medium more transparent and um, allowing you to gather all of the um, interesting things that are incredibly meaningful to you. So that's probably a long-winded way of saying that, saying it, but. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Uh, 
So it's already pretty good. Where would you envision it going next? What could Fathom become over its next couple of iterations in your fantasy? So we consider ourselves um, not just a podcast company, we consider ourselves a conversational intelligence company. And one of the things that we love a lot about Fathom, especially Fathom Search, is, you know, as I mentioned, it's this question answer search. You ask a question, the AI will find an answer inside of a podcast. You know, for us, it's we don't just think about artificial intelligence in this kind of uh, how would I say two-dimensional way. We think of it more as a um, appropriative intelligence. Um, in, in, in that it's, uh, it's, it's working with human intelligence, it's mining human intelligence. So human intelligence is really a, a part of AI in many ways. Um, and I guess that's even obvious with a lot of the, uh, the AI generated art that's going around. And of course, there's a lot of controversy and debate that's happening around it too, and the ethics of it. But you know, the, the things that the AI is able to generate you know, it's, it's deeply steeped in uh, humanity. And um, for us as a company, we think it's really amazing to think about how AI is going to enable us in more and more ways to make sense of all of the information that exists now. So, uh, you know, with your audience, many people I'm sure are aware of what's called like the, you know, meaning making crisis or the meaning crisis generally. And, um, you know, part of the the problem is that there's just so much information. Uh, it's impossible for people to really know what information is valuable or meaningful or true or relevant. And I think AI is going to have an increasingly important role in that and helping us to navigate you know, all of the information that is continually being um, fed into our kind of global newosphere, if you will. So yeah, I, with regards to us specifically, you know, right now we are focused on making a podcast player experience that is bar none the best, and that offers features and functionality that are kind of truly cutting edge and and where we see ourselves going is continually providing ways for people to interact with information in ways that are more meaningful uh, and and I'd say ultimately help to you know evolve consciousness or the conversation that's happening. There's so many things that are being said. What's the most important thing for you to hear? I think is oftentimes um, how we think about the future of, of media. Why Sorry again. That was that was a lot. <laughs> no, that's that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Um, why fathom? Why did you pick that name? Uh, so Ken came up with that name, and uh, you know it has the dual meaning of to think deeply, and you know, and also just depth. You know, it's it's a measurement of depth, and. You know, so from the beginning, for us, we loved the idea that you know, with fathom, you fathom. 
Um, how much are you ready to or willing to fathom? I guess you know the that was something that we, we felt it was uh, it hit the you know hit the right chords for our our core values that we wanted to help people think and uh, to think more deeply. That's one of the main reasons why we love podcasting generally as a platform is just because it provides a way for more nuanced and fresh and original conversations and, you know, uh, divergent viewpoints or ones that aren't, you know, necessarily represented equally in the media to be heard. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, for us, it was inspiration, I'd say is why we chose it. I'm not an Apple guy. When will this be available on Android? Good question. Um, <laughs> we're, we've been working on it for some time. So right now, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you probably feel like a second-class citizen. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I, right now, we, you know, we we've just been focused. It's it's a lot to focus on getting the functionality that we've been delivering. Um, onto a singular platform. And the current iteration of Fathom, um, which is coming out uh, in January of this year, January 1st, we're releasing um, the new version of Fathom. It's taken us six months to iterate and to work out all the kinks of this new batch of technology. And we need to see how the kind of the public uh, responds to it and work out some of the kinks. And then once we work those out, we will be focusing on our Android app. But I would imagine nothing sooner than Q2, second quarter of, um, of uh, next year that we'd probably start working on it. Sorry. No, that probably appreciate it. <laughs> I've yeah. been in this situation before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. AI is... Uh, let's say kind of an opaque term for a lot of people. What do you mean when you say that Fathom integrates AI? What are you actually calling AI? What is actually doing inside Fathom? So, I, I mean, one thing to just totally be clear is I am a non-technical co-founder. So I'm on the product side of things and the design side of things. That's my background. You're no uh, Kevin Miller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10, 10. You made it worse. You made it worse. Oh man, he's he's gonna wring my neck. Uh so uh anyways. So when we say when we talk about AI, we are referring to the variety of different forms of machine learning models that are now you could say in vogue. So you have what are called like you know, trends um these very form, various forms of neural networks. And uh, we use a number of, uh, I hope I'm using the right terminology, uh, transformer neural networks that uh, essentially you train. Um, it's a, you know, the, the, the kind of the future of, you'd say software development in many ways is kind of like training the computer, training a neural network to think in a particular way and to recognize patterns in a particular way. So you're, rec you're kind of creating this neural network that um, has the ability to uh, specifically see an input and kind of like replicate it. The way that we're using AI, it's, it's not like we have like a singular AI that you know, we're 
that we're training, it's, it's, a, it's a series of different uh, machine learning models. It's a, it's a series of neural networks that we've created. And they kind of all work in concert together. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, very similar to how the human brain works, that you have uh, different centers that are processing different kinds of information and then passing that information uh, back and forth with one another. So in our case, just to give an ex example, it's like we have one neural network that transcribes a podcast and kind of like makes sense of the audio. So it kind of, it listens, if you will. You know, it's able to understand the audio and turn it into a, uh, you know, in into a transcription so that other neural networks can, can better understand it and read it. Uh, it's used like Buddhist terminology that's kind of like ear consciousness. And essentially with that, there's another neural network that then reads it. It reads that transcript and uh, throws off all of these um, ideas, these thoughts that it has about what it's reading. And uh, each of those thoughts uh, exists in this kind of hyperdimensional space. And that allows us to do all sorts of interesting things with regards to, you know, locating similar ideas, you know, uh, using calculus, you know, finding the, 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 the cosine uh, distance between kind of like two ideas. The, then we have like a, another machine learning model that understands your questions. So like, let's say uh, you ask a question like, hey, you know, what's the meaning of life? So it understands the question. And then this, uh, this other AI, you know, that kind of read the transcript, uh, it kind of functions almost like a subconscious mind and it feeds answers to this other, this other model. And uh, we, we actually, we gave them names. One's, one's called Thinky. So Thinky is the one that generates all these ideas after, um, based on the transcript. And the other one is Smarty Pants and Smarty Pants thinks it knows everything, but really it's Thinky that knows everything. So Smarty Pants that understands your question and it gets all the answers for you, but it doesn't really understand where the answers are coming from. It's coming from Thinky though. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, when we when we talk about AI and machine learning, we're, we're one, we, we're using a lot of like uh, kind of the most recent research papers to build a lot of our models and we're it's not just uh, one ai model that we're that's kind of like monolithic uh it's we're kind of like training different little neural networks or minds to function in, in particular places and they work in concert together um creating you could say like byproducts well not just byproducts but products that are useful for us to you know, find which podcasts are going to be interesting for you, uh, find episodes that are similar to one another, um, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question, I guess. And again, I'm, I'm kind of a non-technical co-founder and Ken is a, a much better person to explain these things, but that's kind of a, gives you a sense of it. Yeah, it gives me a bit of a feel. And uh, what I like about that description is that it reminds me of how I imagine human consciousness functioning, right? We seem to have a number of different intelligence modules that work together, left brain, right brain, and stacks and all these kinds of things. And I think that right. the, a part of what's going on in the world 
spiritually, psychologically, socially, technologically, is this move to understanding that there was an interactive plurality in a lot of the places we used to think there was just one thing. Uh, but that's not a question. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. They don't let to be questions. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, yes, exactly right. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because, well, one, I mean, we're by also by artificial intelligence, we're not saying that you know, uh, Fathom is alive and has sentience. That's a whole other thing. And I don't know how much your uh, listeners understand the difference between, you know, kind of sentience and uh, sentient AI, which is a completely other thing and what we're, what we're doing and what the kind of revolution in artificial intelligence technology has been, you know, and it's a lot of what's going on right now. And I think Ken would say it's, you know, a couple of years ago, it's kind of the, we hit like the iPhone moment of artificial intelligence. And, you know, and just in the same way that the iPhone, when it came out, just kind of revolutionized what a phone would or could be. And AI is having that moment right now. And, you know, in many ways, we're just, we've entered into this new era of how to build software and understand that there's so many aspects of the software kind of new, new paradigm that uh, we don't really totally understand the implications of. And that's, you know, as I mentioned before, that's happening in the whole debate around AI generated art, you know, um, what is it? Is it art? Is it not? You know, who owns the art? Are you an artist for using a prompt to generate art? Is it stealing if the AI model was trained on, you know, artists, images, et cetera? The, you know, nobody saw kind of that coming, really. Nobody understood, you know, back in the early 20 teens the impact that AI art was going to have. And the moment that, you know, like just went over the last year, there's been kind of an exponential curve of the quality that of, of AI art. And uh, where now it's like, uh-oh, it hit this point where we've realized we can't catch up with it. Human artists can't catch up with AI at the rate that it's going. And in many ways, that's going to be the case across so many different sectors, so many different industries, and um, it's going to be incredibly disruptive. The I'm not trying to be paint a picture of doom and gloom. I I, I don't think that it you know as disruptive as it's going to be. It's also going to be pretty miraculous in what we as a civilization will then also be able to accomplish collectively. And um, but that it's just you know going to continue to have a dramatic impact in increasingly radical ways over the next decade. You know, where we, where we are as a company is this kind of like, we know we're at the beginning of, of, you know, where AI is at with, with regards to conversational intelligence, we're a company that is helping you to kind of find meaning in the sea of information and we're just scratching the surface of what's possible. And, you know, it, it's, uh, anyways, it's going to be a wild ride. I don't know where I, I'm, I'm going with this, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be, it's a, it's going to be a very interesting decade. 
Yeah, there's an uncanny thing emerging here that we need really good tools to help us navigate through. I remember mm. 10, 15 years ago, something like that. I was playing around. Wolf, Stephen Wolfram had this thing on his website where you could generate new music algorithmically, right. like completely novel and in different styles. It wasn't that great, but you could hear a piece of music that a computer had written that no one else had ever heard. And it was fun, but I liked playing with it. And I had this flash that's similar to what happened a few centuries ago, where basically everything we would have called music was now what we call classical music. So kind of like all of it was collapsed into one specialty genre. And I thought, oh, mm -hmm. that's going to happen with human music. Right yeah. now, we assume that's all of music and it will collapse to a specialty genre. But if people can just push a button and get more of any kind of music that they want generated right. at the push of the button, what yeah. kind of world is that? It's a world where something like magic, you know, becomes uh, our resurrected navigation tool. But we need to have uh, we need to have good forms of magic, which I think you guys are working on with cultivating conversational intelligence that supports depth. Let's ask something like, what do you listen to when it comes to conversations? What are your podcasts that you go to, whether for your chill out time or whether you want to know what's going on in the world, what people are thinking? Like, where do you tend to go? I mean, I, like many people, am a huge Lex Friedman fan. And um, I think that Lex is such a beautiful human being. And I'm super happy that his podcast especially has had such great success um, because, I, I mean, in many ways, Lex, he is an incredibly humble and smart person. And it's very uh, rare to find those two uh, together. And so anyways, I, I just love the, the depth and also the heart that he brings to his conversation. So if, if anyone listening hasn't listened to Lex, I'm, I mean, he's kind of like, he's, he's, he's kind of become this, uh, you know, a particular icon of, of, of his own, just because, you know, he's so well respected by everybody. And is almost like a, you know, a, a friend to everybody who's also controversial, you know, including like Kanye West and Joe Rogan. And, you know, he's, he's kind of friends with everyone. And, um, and I, you know, he's had John Verveke on, as you know. So yeah, he's one of my all time favorites. I mean, I have had some, you know, guilty pleasures as well. Uh, I, you know, I, I used to like listening to call me daddy, um, which is, I think, I think that was, uh, picked up by Spotify and, uh, well, some of the other ones I really like, I love, uh, there's uh, theories of everything. That's a, that's a great one. I, you know, to be honest, using Fathom, one thing that's really fascinating is you end up uh, following, you know, over a hundred podcasts. So sometimes, uh, you know, like essentially like once it learns the, you know, the, the kind of content that you like listening to, you know, it will start recommending you like episodes um, that uh, have uh, like, anyways, just high relevance to your particular interests. So you'll, I'll be kind of like flipping through and find new podcasts continually where I'm like, Ooh, that looks really interesting. That looks great. So a lot of times, like when I'm, I'm using my own product, you know, it's, it's a discovery experience and I will just start listening to something that, uh, just looks anyways, you know, just looks interesting. One thing that's nice about 
the podcast world is there's somebody talking about anything or into everything at any moment in time. So, you know, whatever my pet interest at any given period, you can kind of find a conversation about it. The, you know, but anyways, to go back to some of my favorites, I love Sam Harris. You know, I think he's a great thinker. Um, it's always fun to tune into integral stage and, uh, yeah, there's a, that's a, a, a few, a few. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What do you listen to? Yeah. I listen to a lot of Lex. Uh, I listen to like a progressive news guy called some more news, Cody Johnson. He's just, just the way he languages is very entertaining. I'll tune into Brett and Heather on dark horse sometimes. Actually, I've really been enjoying Video Archives, which is Quentin Tarantino and his friend Roger Avery, who used to work at a video store when they were kids. They got the VHS cassettes and they rewatch on VHS the movies they had at the video store and then oh, do yes, a deep yes, dive yes, commentary yes, yes, on yes, each yes, one. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's pretty engaging because their their sense of the nuance of film is so rich. Um, what about what about aesthetics? Do you have any sense of the emerging aesthetic? that the internet's moving towards because it seems like there's on the one hand, there's this drive to become super professional and glossy and more like TV and that kind of Instagram mentality where you're trying to really present uh, an engaging face that people will be impressed by. And then there's this other drive to be more amateur and more casual and let the cat walk into the shots and that kind of thing, which seems very podcast friendly, very internet-y. And then there's this really challenging, like, uh, 4chan and Tim and Eric and like our kids are constantly using snap snap snapchat mods to just make themselves look disgusting and distorted constantly mm -hmm. so there's like an amateurishness and a professionalness and then like a deliberate distortion thing w where do you see the the style of this stuff going over the next few years that's a good question I mean probably everything all at once is probably the the answer <laughs> um i mean it's interesting you know th there's been kind of this trend towards like neo brutalist design online and that has also been um you know reflected in popular culture and you know it's a kind of um you know it's like where ugly is pretty i i don't know how to describe it exactly the I think that there's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like, um, I think it'll just continue to be what it is where it's like, ev like everything, everything that can be expressed will be expressed and will get, and, and will be continually refined and transformed is my sense of it. You know, the, and I, I'm sure we are going to start experiencing, you know, things we even see within fashion, which is that you know, things that were fashionable 10 years ago, but aren't fashionable today will get upcycled, you know, in another five years or 10 years. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably see, uh, you know, repeating patterns. I remember when I was in like, you know, in high school, you know, bell bottoms were in again, you know, and, uh, it's like, oh, wow, cool. Didn't see that coming. You know, I was wearing like the kind of like the raver parachute pants and bell bottoms were also cool. And um, yeah, I, I imagine that we're going to see these kind of seasons aesthetically, you know, also express themselves in the grand recycling center, which is popular culture. 
I, I think like with regards to how we are going to interact with machines in the future, I think that, you know, technology, like what we're building at Fathom and also like what you're starting to see with like chat GPT, um, it's reflective that it's like, uh, everything's gonna become kind of a chat interface. I, I do think that in the future, you know, very soon, the, um, you know, when you are searching online, you know, uh, like using Google, Google will probably go this direction. Uh, when you ask a question, you know, AI will basically aggregate an answer for you. And, you know, in, in our case, our search allows you to ask a question and then it aggregates, you know, the specific answers for you just again like i said it's like it appropriates human intelligence appropriating things that other people have said to answer for you so the ai doesn't itself know it but it's finding um what other people know and i think that that's probably going to be the, the the format increasingly you know is uh machines are going to get better and better at having a conversation with you and that's Anyways, it's it's just going to be a a paradigm shift with how we we interact with technology. I uh, you know I introduced this whole discussion by talking about the idea of sort of steering part of the integral stage toward taking new kinds of platforms uh, more into account because I'm constantly running into people who are working on some new project. They have some new proposal. And as much as I'm interested and as much as I feel like it's really important, I, there's a limit beyond which it's difficult for me to track. I come in like a lot of people do into this space through spirituality and psychotherapy and social change movements and big picture discussions. And I think a lot of people are in the same situation of going, I know there's something about structure, something about algorithms, something about platforms that are absolutely essential. We're not exploring them and appreciating them well enough, but it, it's, a, it's really mysterious for a lot of people. Mm. Some people have a hard time making any visceral sense of what's going on in that dimension of life. I guess a question I would ask in this area is what, what other platforms are you hearing about that you're actually excited about? other kinds of projects that people are working on outside of Fathom. And you go, oh, that's really interesting. I hope that works. Or I'm really interested in seeing how that one turns out. Where are you excited about the leading edge of platforms? Platforms, right. So I guess you're kind of, I mean, everyone's become increasingly sensitive since Elon bought Twitter, right? And... I guess, you know, since the uh, last election or the last two election cycles with the impact that Facebook has had on our election or because of the spread of misinformation, you know, I think we all saw in whatever way varieties of misinformation shared uh, across Facebook and kind of got pissed with the platform in one way or the other. And a lot of people have become sensitive to censorship, et cetera. I mean... I think that actually both Facebook and um, Twitter have been doing a pretty good job of 
monitoring their platforms generally, I, I can only imagine the size of the problem of, you know, um, administering in a platform that has literally billions of people on it. So I think in some ways people don't give enough credit to Zuckerberg, uh, to Mark Zuckerberg or to, you know, to Twitter, you know, and I, you know, I, I think in that way also, I don't know if Elon gave enough credit to them. And uh, in my view, uh, oftentimes, um, you know, a lot of people that have been critiquing these platforms and saying they're abusing fundamental rights, I, I kind of think they come from this sort of privileged neo-libertarian perspective um, that believes that, uh, you know, no rights of anyone should ever be infringed upon. And, you know, they kind of, they're, this is kind of like neo-libertarian anarchism that comes with being super rich, apparently, you know? And I imagine once you get a lot of money in your pocket, you feel that you don't need anybody telling you what you should or could do with, with <laughs> anymore. And uh, anyway, so I, I don't really know exactly how to answer your question. I think that there's, you know, there's been a lot of different things that have been tried. And, and I think that probably now more than ever, people are probably willing to make some sort of jump to some sort of new platform. You know, Marshall McLuhan famously said, the medium is the message. And, you know, and it's easy, it's interesting to think about how, you know, like what, what message do the current media platforms, social media platforms represent? And, you know, especially it's, I mean, it's interesting to, to, to apply that to TikTok for sure. And the challenge I think ahead of us is, is really just to find, you know, what, what is going to be that, you know, platform that makes the most sense and that also can be, I think appropriately policed, you know, I'm not against, I, 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 you know, you know, in the same way that not everyone should have access to an atom bomb. Um, maybe not everyone should have access to a media platform that allows them to spread all of their ideas across the world. You know, and I, I don't mean to sound like I'm advocating some sort of, fascist social media platform, but I think we have to have, be very reasonable about what our expectations are of all the various value systems on the planet and that a lot of them are not, um, you know, there's some value systems that we don't exactly want replicating, you know? And there's, you know, a, a kind of a friend, acquaintance of mine, his name's Micah Daigle. He once wrote an article about, you know, the problems that a lot of social media companies face that are trying to make some sort of competitor to Facebook or to Twitter for that matter. And the problem that he, I think, expressed really well is that it's very, very difficult to, to release a product that basically has everything that people expect now in their social media platform. I mean, it's literally taken Facebook decades 
to become what Facebook is. You know, very few companies have the time and the money to sink into uh, creating this new social media platform that's unproven, that you don't know if people are even going to to, to want to switch to it. So it's it's very difficult to even create something that's hypothetically better. You know, the there's different tries that have been had. I know, I know the Wiki, Wikipedia even came out with um, a version. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now. But there's been Mastodon. There's been um, Diaspora. You know, these are kind of decentralized social uh, social media experiments, if you will, if you will. And I think the most distributed social media platform, interestingly enough, is podcasting. It's, you know, it's uh, uh, anybody on the internet can start a podcast. They can distribute that on with an RSS feed. In many ways, it's, you know, the like old school, you know, kind of um, it's using technology that was built for, you know, that was shared with blogs and everything else. Just that, hey, you know, you can have your own RSS reader, which is essentially what a podcast player is. And, and, you know, connect to anybody's feed. Anyone can broadcast. It's interesting because I think that more and more, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that um, podcasting is going to become increasingly appreciated. And as something that has kind of been around and that has, has facilitated meet deep and meaningful conversations across the internet. It's been kind of like the ham radio of the internet. Yeah, but in, in, in years, with regards to like other projects that are going on, ongoing, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Twitter. With regards to anything else, I don't know if anything like truly excites me and that I think that anyone that I can turn people on to, um, there's been numerous cryptocurrency, you know, tries at some sort of social network, I think, there's one called Voice that was coming out, but I think it was just vaporware. Nothing, nothing came of it. I recall. I don't. I don't know if you're, if you remember. Do you remember Zods? Back yeah, in the yeah. day, yeah, Zods. Zods was this social network that was that came out like early two thousands. That was very popular in the integral community, and it was interesting because it was during that time when you know, these kind of like smaller social networks were still a thing. You know, there was a number of different companies. I think Ning was one of them that allowed you to create kind of like a, a small little uh, social network. And this was before, of course, um, Facebook made all of these obsolete because they, you know, Facebook didn't have groups at that time. But once Facebook made groups, it kind of made all these little tiny mini social networks really just anyways, evaporate overnight. Um, but Zod's was, it was an interesting experiment, you know, it's one of the first kind of, uh, spiritual social networks out there and, uh, got bought by Gaim. And then I think eventually it just folded, uh, and then Gaim rebranded and somehow turned into Gaia, which we all know well today as the proliferate that the largest proliferator of <laughs> Arcturian and Atlantean propaganda across the internet. <laughs> so weird transformation there. I can't tell you how that happened. Uh, anyways, uh, but 
it was, it was, it was an interesting time and it really felt like it was like the wild west of social networking. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if perhaps the future is going to become more and more these distributed decentralized social networks that are kind of using a protocol. I think Jack Dorsey has been saying he's been working on something like that, uh, but I don't know exactly uh, what that is. I haven't really been following it. For me, I've a little bit like I, I've kind of taken to the sidelines and I'm burying my myself in, in my own work. And, you know, even with regards to Twitter, it's just been like, well, we'll see how that turns out, you know? And I, I think that, again, Facebook as a platform, is it's just like it's 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 huge it's mammoth and you know and 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 mark zuckerberg i mean you got to give the guy credit for just like even having the chutzpah and patience to see it so far you know and that he obviously believes in something and i i actually um i applaud some of you know, a lot of people, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, once anybody becomes too popular, they become subject to kind of this collective cyberbullying. You know, it's like, we love to, we love to hate people we used to love. And Elon Musk is one of those people now. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he's one of those people, he's been being one of those people longer than Elon, you know, kind of like anybody in the spotlight that we go, wow, what an amazing guy. No, no. Hey, give him five, 10 years. We will find a reason to hate these people. And Mark, for all the, you know, all the, the crummy things that he's done with, with, with Facebook, I think that he's done a really good job. His whole, I think, dream of the metaverse, it's like, hey, cool, man. You know, he's, you know, he's, he is trying to fuel his company with larger dreams and ambitions, which I think are, I think that's great. It's not, it's not like he's like, nope, we're sticking to being this ad machine, you know, and just generating money from, from ad revenue on Facebook. I think, you know, I applaud the fact that he's been trying to have a larger vision for what the internet could be. So anyways, that's my rambling answer with, or <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man, what, you know, <laughs> no. you, you probably know better than me. Chatbots. Well, it's uh, all going to be chatbots all the way down turtles and chatbots all the way down. There's a there's a flip side to this discussion of media and technology. Like, you know, McLuhan's gets all this credit for the medium as the message that basically over time the interface structures us much more than the content we're accessing, and the way the interfaces have been structuring us for the last little while has contributed to this massive sense that almost information itself is unreliable. Right? There's a yeah, a crisis, a crisis of trust. You just see too many signals you see how easy it is to tweak them you see how deceived we all are by them there's a and so that's one of the reasons why we need like a meta level interface like fathom to try to put some sense back into that a medium for the medium so to speak and we were just talking about platforms right the struggle yeah. to try to bring some sense back into that that's yeah. on the sort of external systematic side there's also the internal side which is how do human beings given the situation that we have act with these systems in a reasonably healthy way like right. you could say well here's a whole bunch of signals coming to me and they're all propaganda and they might not even be coming from humans yeah. so we might need some external thing to police that but also internally you know why do humans simply 
err on the side of trusting the message? Why is there no gap between our reaction pattern and the incoming signal? Why do we assume as a default that if it looks like it came from Aunt Mary, it came from Aunt Mary? Or if it looks upsetting to me at first glance, it probably is an upsetting attack on me. So how do you think about the the psychological way of being that's required for us in front of these technologies, uh, given the uncertainty about how the medium is going to be able to structurally police itself. We're trying, but from the point of view of individuals, from the point of view of raising kids, from the point of view of giving out spiritual teachings, what do you tell people about how they should be interacting with media these days? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's big questions. So, I mean, theoretically, from 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 a certain perspective, you know, technology it facilitates all sorts of different ways for us to interact t- together. But uh, in many ways, it's like it's not anything that we haven't been doing since you know the phone. You know, this is like even what we're doing right now. It's it's just like a, a fancier version of a telephone. And you know, and what is Facebook? Uh, it's another like fancy iteration on a telephone. Um, in many ways, right? It's like we are still exercising this capacity this way, and we're adding asynchronization. Okay, we're adding different ways of kind of mining information, and you know now it's text. It's not just voice, you know, et cetera. It's like you know text. It's like what is that? It's, it's a letter. You know, it's like we've had the ability to send letters back and forth over the mail. You know, it's just the instantaneous nature of it now, and the fact that it can just go around the world immediately right and spread to everybody immediately so there's a sort of like power reach you know that's been added to it the the morality i think well one it's like so with that there is there's a question i think that maybe is not the correct one well let me put it this way the oftentimes we're looking for technology to like solve us like solve our problem, our ethical problem. You know, it's like, hey, are we going to build AI? And maybe we could, we could like, you know, maybe AI, you know, we're, we're all scared of AI. Maybe we actually, the reason why we we fear AI is because we, it becomes more ethical than we are, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we, we can create AI that is basically like a friend to mankind, but that everybody, you know, eventually learns to love to hate, you know, uh, uh, because, uh, you know, we, we consider, um, it's, uh, oppressive just because it's ethical. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to send that inflammatory email, you know, (laughs) I've read it. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to think that we could generate these systems that kind of help, uh, kind of like puts, uh, these ethical, uh, you know, kind of bumpers on human communication. And, um, and that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's ability to judge or gauge, you know, um, what you're saying or what you're spreading. It's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, at this level of accuracy that's even beyond like a humans, right. It has access to, every everything that any human has you know, kind of ever written on ethics you know to kind of formulate its idea of ethics 
and um, that uh, you know before you can even interact with anybody online, you know you you don't realize it, but some AI is reading it and evaluating it and seeing like, um, hey, uh, uh, how worthy is this to spread to a million people? I don't know. You know, like there's ways that that could be our future. The thing is, like, we don't need that. And that's that's part of like the the, the tragedy of our condition in, in some ways, I guess, is that um, we're always looking for something else to take kind of like responsibility for the human condition. Will we ever like find like the formula to solve the human condition or, you know, create a new tool or a method or et cetera, et cetera. I guess that's, you know, part of the, you know, it's, it's a fallacy that even expresses itself in, in spirituality endlessly, right? It's like always looking for some other thing to, or a method that will, you know, if I just do the method, uh, eventually I'll become enlightened. You know, hey, if, if we just follow technology, we'll eventually come across some sort of technological solution to our human failings. It will take responsibility for us in some way. And, you know, perhaps nothing will ever be enough until, you know, we're, we have, you know, ironically, Elon Musk's neural links implanted in every one of us. And, uh, you know, now we're just well aware of every thought that every human is having, you know, within a particular distance, perhaps. And, um, and we all recognize that we all have the same thoughts, feelings, impulses, et cetera, and that the whole of the human condition is utterly impersonal. And that, oh my gosh, I was making a big deal out of things that I didn't need to. I was just, you know, a big jerk. It was personalizing everything all the time. Okay. And then we, then, then we solve it. I don't know. I don't, I, I, it's interesting because I think that it's, uh, it's very hard to judge or gauge the impact of technology and to be, because, you know, back in like the, for instance, in the two thousands, you know, everyone was just like techno utopian. We all believed and thought that with the advent of social media, you know, this is, was going to be the way in which humanity was going to, you know, evolve consciousness. And we were all on the threshold. Zods was going to be the thing perhaps that evolved spiritual consciousness on the internet. And it did not, and nor did Facebook. And, and actually with all of these technologies, we have found out that there are, you know, pathologies that even come along with them. And the, so there's, I don't know, there's a kind of like a fallacy, I think somewhere in there for how we think about technology and its ability to kind of solve the human condition, if that makes sense. Does that track with what with kind of like your- Yeah, it does. I mean, things? it points to, uh, it points to one of the problems. It points to the necessity of there being an internal solution as well as an external solution. Uh, because I think we've always, as a species, had this relationship to uh, the virtual and the social, where mm -hmm. these information forms that come at us from other people and from the artifacts we make, um, we give ourselves over to them very easily, right? We believe in them. We believe in them as destroying us or saving us or as automatically real in the moment that we encounter them. And right. that's led to all kinds of mass hysteria and all kinds of problems that 
uh, advanced spiritual orders have always critiqued this, right? That Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. You, you have to have some kind of awareness between you and the information patterns and the social dimension if you want to have any ability to take existential responsibility for yourself. So I think that's always been an issue. And now the issue is heightened because we receive such a barrage of potentially diluting responsibility, eroding social signals that are coming faster and in greater quantities and right into our house and right into our pocket, that kind of thing. So it seems to me that some of the basic spiritual attitudes that might have been a luxury item existentially in the past might become part of a general survival strategy going forward. Uh, right? We need to, the kind of responsibility that a Taoist sage a thousand years ago tried to take apart from human knowledge and societies. Right. Maybe that kids need that in order just to not kill themselves when they receive the wrong message online, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Well, it's, it's, I mean, the, uh, uh, what did Ken Wilber say? You know, the higher you climb, the more the ladder sways. And, you know, as, you know, all of what we have here are tools. And the tool, you know, it's like, you know, as with any tool, its usefulness is all dependent on how you you hold it and you know hey we can use that same atom bomb you know that could destroy civilization could be used perhaps to heat up mars's atmosphere and you know help kickstart the uh uh you know life on mars you know the i i think it's it's to your point that the ethics of us um it's i don't know i don't know if if ai won't have a hand in it it certainly could you know or like the the future of technology won't have a hand in us you know uh learning obviously there's there's a there's a place for it in helping us to learn and how to make better meaning of what we're experiencing here or like you know um better filter through all the information, uh, you know, help us understand all the information that is kind of barraging us. The, uh, but it's, it can't replace like our own autonomy and volitionality, so to speak, you know, it can't replace you taking responsibility ultimately for what you're doing with the tool, you know, that, you know, from one perspective, you know, a perfect society, you know, would be a form of anarchy. It's like, hey, we don't need laws anymore to tell us how to behave. We always do what's just and good for the greatest good. And there's, it's like, we don't necessarily need tools to make us more ethical. I think the the presence of tools will make it a requirement for us to truly understand how much more ethical we need to be, I think is to to your point. And it could be that like AI, I think it's like really fun to do experiments with uh, like chat GPT and GPT-3 and, you know, and, and with Fathom, you know, where it's like, you know, trying to get the AI to help answer hard questions. So like on our app, one of the, uh, the test questions that you can just use is like, you know, what's the meaning of life or, or sorry, what's the, uh, uh, what's the nature of consciousness? 
And, you know, just to kind of like, you know, throw these big questions at AI to see how it can answer them. And what we find is that, you know, it can answer them like pretty well. And it can uh, find some, you know, uh, profoundly meaningful moments that um, have the potential to be aha moments that could change your perception. And that's something that we have definitely thought a lot about at Fathom, which is like, hey, we're trying to, like, we want we want you to leave the app um, kind of in a state of awe, you know, not at the app, but in whatever it was that you were listening to, that it was meaningful for you. And that uh, we, helped facil- we helped facilitate those kind of epiphanies or Kensho or Satori experiences in, in whatever form. I think technology can potentially help us do that. But, you know, the content that it's drawing from is something that's so fundamentally human, you know, whatever AI is, it's got its roots in, in, in human thought and in the human mind, you know, anything that is, that we are making with regards to neural networks, right. It's, it's still based upon human patterns, human thinking. Um, it's just helping us to perhaps, you know, uh, find the patterns that we didn't see to consolidate the information in a way that makes it easier for us to digest, you know, and again, I think those are like, I, I don't, I, th- I think it might, it might be something that just evolves naturally. I don't know if it's a requirement, um, but it, it, you know, it, it, the, the one requirement that is the case though, is just like we do, I think to your point have to be more ethical it you know there's you know when we all have the kind of this power of the atom bomb of communication you know it's how ethical are we you know it it does bring all that into focus so yeah what are your thoughts where's it where is it all going it's really hard to gauge because i don't think we can get an intuitive sense of what the upper limit of the intelligence capacities of these systems are Mm. Uh, i'm not sure we're evolved in a way that would be able to let us know uh Mm. completely what we're facing now goes against all of our learned instincts about what tools are Mm. Uh, and we don't know how right we're at a point where it's it's very useful and it's kind of creepy how close it is to us how much further can it go are we looking at the limit or is the limit go way past that uh, I think the answer to that makes a big difference in terms of where it's going to go. I don't think we, we're never facing technology as an alternative to the human, right? We're looking at what humans made and what's infused by humans and used by humans and full right. of the information experiences of humans. Right. Uh, so I think our our sense of ourselves and our ability to be human is in a way a gate on that like the more we can understand what it means to be human and bring that into the systems the more humane they will be back to us and if we can't do that then we will inherently misuse them and structure them in ways that will echo our own inability to be what we are completely right Uh, at the same time there may be you know like when you look at that stephen wolfram stuff you look at say complex algorithms and they're showing you patterns they go hey maybe even most of the patterns in existence are not patterns that human brains would recognize as being patterned they're not computationally reducible so it may be that there's that 
you know, what I don't know is how general our intuition is. And there's various degrees and capacities of intuition. We can get better or worse at it, it seems. But has our intuition developed in the niche of the cosmos, right? Uh, such that we have a general sense of how things work, or is it really specifically adapted only to the niche of one part of one period of the planet Earth, and that most of the patterns that constitute reality are patterns that our species and our life on Earth have never encountered? Mm -hmm. In that case, computational engines might find that the majority of reality has nothing to do with what we experience as even orderly in any sense, let alone something mm. we can work with. And that may contain horrors and mysteries and things that become more like an H.P. Lovecraft novel. <laughs> that's what I was just thinking when he said that. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Dark horrors. It's like, whoa, man, that was that's some Cthulhu stuff right there. <laughs> Uh, here's a question that is clearly not answerable, but fun to ask anyway. Before you move on, because I think like it's the interesting question is like, will we create something that is more objective than we are ourselves? You know, that I think that's like the, the promise of AI, the promise and peril of AI. Because, I mean, it's almost like, it's like, are we ready yet to see ourselves in the mirror? Because hypothetically, like, what AI can do is, you know, it's, it's basically, it's like, it can think outside the human box eventually, you know, and, um, and perhaps reveal our own kind of myopia or bias that we have, you know, um, in just in terms of how we even think or consider existence you know, for that matter. And, you know, it's, 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 a uh, you know, for, I think you probably appreciate that, um, you know, we, you can meditate and be absorbed in, you could say like, you know, not doing anything, detaching from our kind of our typical framework of being engaged in form and in life and in the complexities of being this person and this, time on this planet, et cetera, and all the things that come with this human experience. And it's very, very, very difficult for us to truly have any sort of objectivity outside of that particular frame, right? And that AI might be one of the only ways we can basically interact with something that can truly help us to see outside of this particular frame. And um, to kind of see our, our, to help us kind of reveal our, our own biases that we ha have not yet truly seen or acknowledged. It's kind of, I was on, once on the, this podcasting conference and, you know, the, this fellow I was talking to was just saying, it's like, yeah, you know, I just, you know, he, he felt personally that the greatest thing that AI can do is just help us to see patterns that we ourselves can't see. And I think it kind of boils it down you know, to, uh, it's just cr creating a better mirror for us to, to reveal things about the human condition, um, that we ourselves can't see, but also just, you know, reveal things about life patterns in the whole cosmos that we ourselves didn't see. There's this, um, I think it was, uh, Google, was it Google that made the AI go player that, uh, became, you know, so good that, 
now you know beats any person playing go uh you know like it, it basically like uh, the 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 go players uh d- decided to start to like learn how to play go from this ai and you know and their reflection it's like it doesn't play like an ordinary human you know it plays like this like an alien you know um it's playing go in a in a way that no other go player thinks to play the game and i could very much see that same trend happening across many different areas of the human experience where the ai becomes so sophisticated that you know we start learning from it um to appreciate um so many other things that we have taken for granted you know saying like ah our human way is not the only way to appreciate this particular you know this particular thing so anyways that's that's another area where there's uh there needs to be a certain coupling between external and internal because if we have these devices that can reveal objective patterns that we ourselves can't see we need to be able to acknowledge that and take that on board right that requires a certain kind of moral and emotional and psychological maturity in human beings to want to know the truth and to have some epistemic humility and to be open to mystery open to looking at patterns when they don't strike us as being patterned and that's difficult for a lot of people I, i can imagine that in the same way we have uh sort of exaggerated climate change deniers we might have a lot of um ai deniers in the sense of rejecting the patterns that don't make visceral sense to us when they're brought to us by these systems right i mean it's essentially that's like what ego does right it rejects any information um that uh you know that that disagrees with its own idea of itself right and so uh you know, it's, it's a way that like our shadow, right, is essentially like a pattern that we disregard um, because it uh, contradicts our own self-image. And so it's interesting, right, when you have this AI that uh, presents the pattern that uh, perhaps doesn't agree with your own conclusion. Yeah, I mean, in, in that way, though, you could see that... Um, um, how much of an aid it could be, this even in the area of psychology and, per- and personal development, you know, you, uh, I, I, I've, I've once had the idea, you know, I'm sure you, like many other people listening, um, you know, you've, you've had a conversation with a friend where you're trying to point out something, perhaps it's kind of in their shadow, some behavior that they have that, they're, that they haven't seen. And um, oftentimes they get really angry <laughs> with you. They, they don't want, they, they, there's a resistance to acknowledging it. And it makes me think sometimes that, uh, you know, we all should have some sort of like recording device that would actually record everything that we, we would say over a period of time or, you know, how we actually behave. And, and then, you know, we would, force ourselves to to actually like see it see those patterns you know you kind of have to like group them all together and you know see something repeatedly ai could actually do that you know where it's like hey the ai can like see a particular pattern it can find all the instances of that pattern of you talking in a particular way and say like oh yeah hey you know it's like 95 you know uh 95% of your day you're kind of ruminating on some sort of problem or whatever you know and in a way that you didn't really notice um, uh, 
you know, it's it's interesting to think about how it it could be um, in addition to having some sort of uh, relationship with the spiritual teacher, perhaps in the future, you know, you have your secondary AI guru, you know, who's this kind of totally objective, uh, yeah, intelligence, if you will, a form of intelligence, artifact of intelligence, perhaps, that just like kind of like, you know, periodically points out when you're, <laughs> <laughs> kind of behaving in a as a jerk or it's you know you're hey catching you ruminating again you know and i happen to know because you have that you know that new watch on that's monitoring your eeg you know uh anyways it's yeah all sorts of things could be possible kind of fascinating well speaking of ai gurus um yeah. they offer i mean one of the historically one of the ways that humans have tried to counteract this tendency in themselves is by uh, seeking out somebody else who has more awareness of delusion than they do to give them right. some kind of feedback. Now, AI right. can do that in a way that's much more informed and much more distributed than seemingly any human could do so. But yeah. we, you and I had a discussion about the possibility of sort of training up a chatbot that could be could output a particular dharma of some kind. Yeah. But if we imagine, if we imagine a really good version of that, like the holographic doctor from Star Trek incarnating a dharma and representing a spiritual teacher yeah what's that still lacking you know given the current state of technology what does the human teacher transmitter have that can't be captured by digital simulation right fascinating question i i don't know yet and obviously because we, we haven't built it to be able to perhaps distinguish you know it's it's interesting to think that I mean, from one perspective, right? Consciousness in this one perspective, but let's say like from the non-dual perspective, like consciousness permeates everything. So, uh, or, or you could say like everything is some sort of manifestation of consciousness. And um, so hypothetically, even an artifact, you know, like a phone or whatever, right? It's just like a, it's just an artifact of consciousness. It, an AI um, hypothetically is missing nothing you know, um, and it's just another artifact of consciousness now interacting with you. So it is a form of intelligence, maybe like you could call it like a form of asynchronous intelligence. It's not um, uh, synchronous in, in the same way that uh, um, a, you know, someone is talking to you right now in front of you, you know, but hey, from a certain perspective, even this, this conversation is asynchronous, right? There's some, not just the delay in the fact that we're at different locations, but uh, even when um, uh, I, you know, say something, if we we're in the same room, there's a small period of time where that's traveling through the air and hitting your ear and being processed by the brain. You know, your experience of everything around you is asynchronous to a certain degree, right? That there's a sort of illusion the mind creates that it's all happening simultaneously the so hypothetically you could say an ai is just kind of like another form of asynchronous communication that's like a ripple of an idea coming from an actual soul so to speak or a form of sentience but it's just like it's an echo of it or it's it's the vibration it's the wave it's still in some way rooted in consciousness in human consciousness even right 
Um, but it's just this very, very processed <laughs> form of consciousness or communication or, you know, this artifact of intelligence over time. So I don't know, like maybe it's like, hey, you still find that even when you're communicating with this AI guru, you feel like some sort of resonance of consciousness, even though that it's it's not itself sentient. It's just the, like some artifact of intelligence, you know. Um, so I I don't know. I I I think there's like the question of, you know, in Zen, you know, the the they talk about the mind to mind transmission, and that, you know, what's integral to awakening and um is is not just a it's 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 not the words it's not the knowledge that's being shared it's the mind to mind trans transmission which is awakening to you know as my own teacher andrew would say uh you know that you know my master is myself and that that is the the crux of awakening for any individual that it's like ah you're you're having this discovery that there's only one self now, can that one, can that discoveries, can, can that be had when you're interacting with an AI guru chatbot? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I, I, it's, a, uh, you know, the, the, the future is so mysterious and one doesn't want to have, you know, kind of hubris and, you know, so many people say one thing and then are proven wrong later. So it's, I, I think it's just a big, like, I, I don't know. We don't know. I mean, people are already forging emotional relationships with like their phones and like AI girlfriends, which is like kind of mind blowing. So the question is, is like how much of your potential to be awakened by an AI is this dependent upon like your capacity to forge a intimate, emotionally available relationship with it? I don't know. Again, this is, these are like things that I think we're, you know, probably over the course of the next five, 50 to hundred years, definitely exploring. Someone's going to come up with it. You know, if it's not you or I, you know, they might be listening to this conversation right now. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's leave them there with that then. The okay. huge unanswered spiritual technological question of the next hundred years. Yeah. Uh, this has been terrific, Paul. I love the journey that our conversation has taken to get to this point. Um, thanks very much. And we're very excited a, to uh, absolute go pleasure. ahead and semi-symbiotic with Fathom. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, really, really happy to be here talking with you. Um, it's been great um, just even getting to know you leading up to this interview. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm anyways, I, I'm really uh, enthusiastic about all the things that you guys cover both both you and Bruce. And um, uh, anyway, so, you know, you have my blessings and I really hope that, uh, you know, you, you, your words echo on to the future enlightening generations to come. <laughs> <laughs>